0: Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'm Ollie Guiou.
1: And I'm Rob Byrne.
0: We're building up to Guernsey's election in October by bringing you candidate interviews and daily campaign updates.
1: We've got a pretty packed show, so straight to it today. The lame gags will have to wait till Friday, Ollie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sad times. Coming up, you're going to hear from Lucia Faith, who's a 33-year-old mum having a second crack at becoming a deputy.
1: And I think it's pretty fair to say she's a bit of a greenie.
2: People that we have in prison right now, doing time for cannabis should be released. More
0: from Lucia on her aim to legalise cannabis later.
2: And you'll hear from our resident fact
1: checker, Andrew Barnes, who's been looking at the evidence behind a three school secondary school model.
3: The three school model is very popular amongst candidates, but our evidence like
0: certainly points against that. But first, there's quite a lot of local news about that might figure in voters minds. Let's start with a big developing story about fishing rights, Rob.
1: Yeah, so this has been broken by the Reuters news agency and the suggestion is that Britain may give the EU some concessions in terms of accessing fishing grounds here off the Channel Islands. It's all to do with breaking
0: the deadlock in the quest to get a deal before Britain leaves the EU at the end of the year, but
1: should we be reading too much into this? Well, they're quoting two anonymous sources who've been briefed by the EU negotiating team, and they say the Channel Islands move is one solution being floated. Under it, they say any EU boats fishing outside Guernsey and Jersey's 12-mile limit, which I think most of the time are French, aren't they? Um, they could be exempted from new restrictions Britain wants to bring in after Brexit.
0: It's interesting uh, because Brexit's featured a little bit on manifestos, but phishing's largely been ignored in, in the ones that I've read. Uh, it's definitely a, a story to follow and see how the current deputies deal with it in, in the more immediate future. And uh, what, what's the other story that you've spotted?
1: So this was the most read article on the New Statesman website yesterday. Um, well, it certainly was when I saw it. Um, it's an interesting one. It was it's about uh, the LVCR loophole, which will mean something to some people and not a lot to others. Um, it was the, the the tax loophole that meant that goods uh, could be sold in the UK without VAT on them. So that's why we had the likes of Play dot com and HMV and Channel Islands and all the big basically the people selling. Uh, low value items, I think it was between 15 and 18 pounds, it changed slightly. And it gave those firms that sort of shipped goods to Guernsey and then onwards back to the UK, a competitive advantage because they could sell them cheaper without VAT. And it obviously had a massive impact on uh, a number of particular CD businesses that went um, out of business. And it was kind of this article was a, a long read. It was a feature looking at how it evolved, the people who it affected, are mostly a chap called Richard Allen who campaigned against the loophole and eventually helped get it closed uh, by uh, the British government. Uh, This was going back to to 2012 now. But the thing was, this was a huge industry in the islands. It built up, you know, these these warehouses where people were picking and packing objects and sending them back to the UK. It provided a lot of jobs and it was quite a controversial thing because essentially it was premised on a tax loophole that wasn't particularly fair to a lot of retailers in the UK and even the ones that came over to the Channel Islands often felt that they were sort of being strong-armed into doing so because it was the only way they could compete in whatever industry they were in. So um, it was really interesting and it and it kind of got access to... Richard to, sort of shared some documents he's facing some legal troubles at the moment as well in terms of he tried to pursue compensation from HMRC. He was a CD retailer that went bust and now was trying to get some money back and then lost that case. And then HMRC uh, were pursuing him for the legal costs. So it's really more an insight into him. And, and through him, you can understand the story from a very different perspective to how it was being portrayed in, in Guernsey at the time. So why is this significant to Guernsey people right now? Yeah, well, I mean, and the reason why I, I sort of point that out, um, you know, that have, that story had implications for some of the candidates who are standing for uh, re-election or election this time. So uh, Deputy Lyndon Trott was the chief minister at the time and pursued a legal challenge to the loophole being closed by the British government that the islands lost and the industry went. And obviously that came with an associated cost as well. Then at the time, that legal challenge was criticised by deputies Barry Breo and John Gollop um and there's another candidate called Mark Fletcher who was chairman of the Postal Flower Association in 2012 um when these changes happened and are sending flowers sort of legitimately I suppose from the islands had been going on for some time and then what was happening was um, bigger corporations were coming in and they were shipping flowers in this circular route to the islands and then back to the UK and obviously that had implications um, locally as well for smaller businesses as well so just really interesting um, to kind of see how even you know what sort of eight years on from this loophole being closed um it's something that's still kind of out there and and sort of questions being asked about how it was allowed to happen for so long.
0: Hmm, interesting. So um,
1: anything else caught your eye recently? Uh, well, there's a lot of talk in Manifesto, isn't there, about building back better. And we have a quick look here at the latest unemployment figures for Guernsey. They do look promising. The number of people out of work was at 1,600 in back in May. It's now down to 690. Uh, so unemployment's fallen considerably but the guernsey press actually on wednesday has picked up with a story focusing on the fact that 20 to 29 year olds have been hit particularly hard uh, when it comes to unemployment that's the sort of uh, that's the age category with the highest number of people out of work and continuing to be so even in the latest set of figures so there's clearly a challenge there in terms of what candidates can do to get people back in work but especially uh, younger islanders as well
0: (music) And next up is Lucia Faith. Um, She's probably known locally the most for her campaigning work to legalise cannabis. She stood unsuccessfully back in 2016, uh, but that hasn't deterred her from coming back for another go.
2: I'm Lucia Faith. I'm 33. I was born in Guernsey. Um, I'm half Italian. Uh, My mum's from Guernsey. My father's Italian. I'm a mother. I've got a 17-year-old and 21-month twins a uh, boy and a girl so uh, life is um, has been very different <laughs> the last 21 months uh, keeping me on my toes that's for sure uh, I run my own business Healing Hands which has really helped many many people in the community and other places uh, because I do do stuff um, online as well um,
1: and what's the business here sorry what tell us uh, roughly what it's what it's about
2: Healing Hands is it's a holistic health business, so I mainly seem to attract people with severe childhood traumas, you know, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, addictions, and then obviously that leads to things like you know depression, anxiety. I guess because I'm a the activist and lobbyist and the founder of the Guernsey Drug Strategy Campaign, people feel safe coming to also see me with addiction problems so I do see a lot of people that are struggling with addiction and obviously uh, I have my own personal background and story in addiction so I always say uh, the best experts in these sorts of fields are the people that have been through it themselves you know you can have as many certificates as you like but unless you've actually been through it and come out the other end I'd say that those people are the people we should be listening to Uh, you know I'm not I'm not somebody that just got into this because it was just the in thing or, you know, I was just doing it off a whim or it was just going to be, an, you know, an easy money maker or anything like that. It was, I, I was 10 years in finance and I was a functional drug addict when I worked in finance. I didn't realize that I was, you know, spiraling out of control into pharma, serious pharmaceutical addiction with, Uh, opiates with painkillers after I had surgery and I was actually just I was the doctor just kept prescribing them and I just kept using them and there was no more physical pain it was emotional pain um, that I was trying to block out through my own post-traumatic stress um, and depression and I guess you know some anxieties and um, so it was more emotional than physical pain but you know many of us know that you know, painkillers also helped to make you feel good emotionally as well. So it was blocking out that side of things for me. You know, I was really overweight, like, you know, I was, I I was a mum from 16. There was just a lot of, a lot of life experiences from a very young age. And I guess, yeah, I, I started my own kind of healing journey through holistic therapies and treatments and nutrition you know, I tried the conventional stuff, it, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not knocking it, you know, I tried going through the doctor, counselling, psychotherapy, you know, all, all the stuff, you know, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, sleepers, you know, you name it, you know, they, they tried me on whatever they could, but it just did not work for me, it just seemed to make everything worse, or it made me completely numb. So that's where I thought, oh, I can't, I've, I'm going to have to take my health into my own hands here. This isn't, this isn't working. Um, so I went down a completely non-conventional, um, <laughs> shamanic kind of healing route of plant medicines and energy healing and complete look at my life as a whole nutrition wise, you know, that whole idea of your body's a temple and what you put in comes out. And, and it, it's changed, it completely changed my life.
0: And it is it is fair to say that your less than mainstream approach has been rather controversial. <laughs> uh, you are quite a prominent figure um, in Guernsey. You know, a, a lot of your stuff you share on uh, Facebook uh, and online, and you have spoken to, you know, numerous media outlets uh, about, your, about your thoughts and feelings. But it is controversial, um, it, and it didn't get you elected in 2016. So what's different this time?
2: Um, I think we've evolved. Our perception's changed. Um... Mm. I think a lot of people have, I've worked with a lot of people in the community, I guess, that have realised that a lot of what I do isn't this kind of woo-woo load of nonsense. Um, You know, I I get comments on Facebook where, you know, oh, this is the girl that thinks, you know, crystals are going to heal your life. It's a load of nonsense. I've never made a claim like that. And I don't think that that's the case at all. It's far more than that. But a lot of people have worked with me now and realised that, oh, okay, she's actually really normal and real. And what she does really does work. Um, Again, not for everyone, just like mainstream medications don't work for everyone. Yeah, I think what's changed is perceptions have changed. You know, look, look at me in 2016 when I was, you know, trying to change perceptions and the stigma around cannabis you know everyone you know I got so much stick for that you know not everybody again but a lot of people would refer to me as a druggie and you know oh this is the girl that wants all drugs legalized and you know loads of kind of stuff and what's fascinating as well is over over the years now actually some of those people that couldn't stand me on social media and that gave me stick we're friends now and they've completely turned and done a full circle and they're now in agreement with me and can see the bigger picture um look how far we've come now you know who would think in 2020 the majority of people's manifestos and one of the biggest election issues for 2020 is drug policy reform and a change in cannabis and can I
1: sorry Lucia can I ask you specifically about about that because obviously like you say it's a big election issue mm. and in your manifesto you're calling for a regulated cannabis model what, what do you mean by that
2: what I'm talking about is because obviously you know medicinal it, you know it's all, it would always be a priority but actually if you look at a lot of the evidence now that's coming out and and I'm a big believer of this I'm a big believer that the 99 probably 0.9% of people actually use cannabis for medicinal reasons but they don't always know it so when I was using cannabis as a kind of um, late teenager like from I don't know, 17 18 years old I at the time would have thought I was using it recreationally and I'm sure other people would have pointed the finger and said that it was being used recreationally but actually now I've done the work on myself and I look back as an adult that's knowledgeable about myself and the plan I wasn't using it recreationally at all I was not in a good place and it was actually helping me through the the deep depression that I was in and I see this again a lot with people you know people think that it's being used recreationally but actually a lot of people aren't using it for that reason they're using it for to help them to sleep or to relax or because they're in pain whether that's physically emotionally you know whatever is whatever it is they've got menstrual pains, whatever it is people tend to be using it for a medicinal reason and you know again this big fear that some people have around cannabis being being allowed more freely in what I would say should be a regulated market, so you know it's it's safe, it's regulated, we we know the consistency, people know what they're getting, just like when they walk into a pub and they go oh i'll have a, a vo- I'll have a vodka and Coke, please You're not walking into a pub and completely blind none of the None of the alcohol has got any labels on it. you don't know what percentages they are and you're playing a gambling game. that's what we're currently doing with cannabis.
1: Yeah. So, what 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 exactly would that look like then? Just explain. What what is it a model similar to any other places in the world?
2: Canada uh, have a, a more regulated market where you could you know you can go into Pacific cannabis shops or pharmacies, whatever you want to refer to them as, and you know exact you know you know what you're getting. It's it's you know you can. Tell somebody over the counter what you need it for, you know, how how you want to be able to consume it. But it's just that it's just a regulated market, just like we do with, you know, alcohol and tobacco and other other stuff. There's plenty of other far more harmful things that we allow on a shelf, which is what I find crazy that we make such a big fuss about something like cannabis, which has had zero deaths on this planet ever but we're so there's so many people in government that are so fearful of it, and it's just you clearly still need to educate educate yourself on it because it's one of the safest plants in the world. So w- what's the fear?
0: You mentioned um, you know people using it to almost unwittingly to help with emotional health or physical health whatever it might be are you not is it not a worry i mean you you spent a, a great deal of of your life by the sounds of it addicted to drugs using them um unwittingly as as a crutch is it not a worry that we're just throwing another crutch for people to use rather than dealing with their with their problems um you know kind of face on
2: no because cannabis actually got me off the pharmaceuticals so if it wasn't for cannabis it would have been very, very difficult for me to come off the pharmaceuticals. It was so much easier like I went to Amsterdam for you know I was a I was an opiate addict for probably unknowingly probably like I don't know seven eight years maybe longer you know so that's quite intense of using maybe 20, 20 plus tramadol or something like that a day you know that's a lot for somebody that actually hasn't got physical pain that's using it for emotional pain so to come off of that um I don't know if you or anyone listening has experienced that but it's it's hideous you know you've got to deal with all the you know all the emotions that you know you've been trying to block out come up and yeah, the physical pain that all of a sudden happens in the body, the cramps, the migraines, the sweats, the vomiting, that you know, it's not a, just a nice experience. If it was so simple for people to just withdraw off of stuff, I'm sure everybody would eventually just do it because it would be so easy. But it's not that easy. And cannabis, again, has been well known for helping people to recover from from addiction, from um, opiate abuse, from alcoholism. Again, there's loads of evidence to support that. And and I've got the life, I've also got the personal life experience where I can say, yeah, you know, cannabis, if it wasn't for cannabis, I don't know if I would have got off them. You know, I may still have been somebody that was just functioning, taking them. And there's loads of people that w- walk around our island that don't even realise that, that they have a problem. And Lucia...
1: You know, Guernsey's government does recognise that cannabis is uh, useful and effective and, it, it, you know, it can be prescribed and given to islanders. Do you not think that it, there could be a, a system maybe perhaps expanded slightly on what it is at the moment that allows people to use cannabis for whatever medical reason, uh, you know, a, a professional uh, prescribes um, rather than outright decriminalisation?
2: So we're already bringing it. So that's already coming in the medicinal side. It's not, you know, it's not quite in place yet, but we're almost there. I'm hoping it's only going to be a couple more weeks and people will be able to access it, which, you know, is great, but it's also, it's got to be privately paid for. You know, it's not you're looking at. I I'm roughly just off the top of my head, I think it's roughly about two hundred and fifty pounds a month. So it and it's private. There's currently not anything in place that is going to pay for that for anybody else that needs it. So we're only allowing a certain class of people access to that as a medicine. We're also, you know, it's coming off island. It's you know, it's it's mostly coming from the UK, which. You know why? Why when Guernsey are allowing all these people to come here and set up these big grows, would we want to allow somewhere else to make the profit from it? It it economically um, doesn't make any sense to say that. You know everybody's talking about the economy and their manifestos and how we need to build back. Wouldn't it make far more sense for us to keep it local and offer it locally? Um, to me, to me, that would make far more sense. And then also on the on the decriminalisation side is, but you can't say that it's okay on one level, and then but it's not on another. That that it, that's hypocritical. And it's also who's it serving? You know what? What are we gaining from still criminalising people for using cannabis? It's immoral. It's unscientific. It's actually just insane. To be quite honest, I actually think people that we have in prison right now doing time for cannabis should be released that that's how i feel about it. it it's completely wrong that we are saying oh yes you know cannabis is actually a medicine and um, but we're still going to hold it as a as a schedule one drug with no medicinal value which again is completely hypocritical um <laughs> And, you know, but when you go to a criminal court, we're just going to, you know, well, why did you not get a license? And well, because there isn't one that you can actually access, sir, but you don't get a chance to say that to the judge, you know, and people are being thrown in jail. And it's, and, and for longer than people for harmful offences as well, you know, which is, again, why our justice system is an absolute mess. What we're forgetting as well in in government, because no offence, but we do have an ageing government is that they forget that, you know, a lot of young people these days, we've got access to information at our fingertips. It's very, very hard to be misinformed these days about evidence and science and, you know, the the goings-on in the world. And this is why you've got people that are going, I'm not obeying this law because it's, it's unjust. You can't expect people to follow laws that shouldn't be there just because the government are taking years and years and years to get anything done Um, so this is why you know I fully am supportive of and the Guernsey drug strategy campaign have got an amnesty model in place and we've been um, lobbying the states for the last few months for an amnesty to come in which looks like if we get the right people elected in the states in October that the amnesty will come in there's a lot of current deputies that support it but unfortunately we just don't have the right people on the home committee right now that will listen um, to what's needed they refuse to look at the evidence not all of them but um, unfortunately the ones that that have got the power in that department and they're just blocking everything that needs to be done what what do you
1: mean by an amnesty model sorry
2: so an amnesty is is, a, is basically pardoning so it's recognizing that people actually shouldn't be going to court and to prison for cannabis unless that unless it's something harmful that else has been involved i'm not saying you know if they've also been involved in in other crimes that have that you know that's a completely different story. I'm not just saying that everybody out of prison that has got a cannabis charge if there's other violence or robbery or other stuff that's attached to that, then they have to serve their time for that. But what you will see is a huge drop in all that other stuff once you have regulated markets. you see it everywhere else that's done it that other crimes drop and addictions drop and But yeah, the amnesty model is that, you know, it basically allows the police to stop what they're doing. It allows the resources and the police time to go actually where it's needed, because, you know, they've been saying we don't have enough time for the domestic violence and, you know, the other stuff that's been going on since COVID um, and all the, you know, they're having to deal with a lot of mental health problems and they don't have the time for it look you know, you've only got to look at the Guernsey press to see how much of their time is being taken up by, you know, by, by cannabis and how many people are currently taking up spaces and resources and taxpayers' money with cannabis.
0: Are are you not um concerned a little that the voter might see you as, as a bit of a one trick pony though?
2: Yeah, probably. I've I've had that. I've had, you know, that oh, you know, she's only about getting getting cannabis legalized you know things like that but that that's not the case at all um you know I'm I really want to work on how we can improve our mental health we've got a serious mental health issue um on the island and currently what we're doing isn't working and that really we really need to change it and we need to build up better resources and better training and there's a there's so there's so many things I'm a, I'm a huge mother earth activist like you know I absolutely love the natural environment the earth and would love to get involved in projects that could make Guernsey an innovator of being a kind of a real green place to live and doing you know being far more just natural in our in in the, what we produce in our you know being organic finding a different way of energy resources that aren't harmful on the planet you know there's so the thing is is with me is there's so much that we are doing as human beings in 2020 that is not sustainable and that needs to be reformed you know education is another one you know everyone's waffling on about the buildings you know oh do you want a two or three school model do you want you know do you want this you know what's the okay great you know I am for I'm very much for you know I've I've listened and I've heard what the teachers and the children are saying and to me they're the experts that the teachers and the children they're the people that are living it they're the people that are in it and they're the people that we should be listening to so yeah I am far more um in favor of the three school model and keeping sixth form but I'm also very interested in an alternative model for children that seem to get completely left behind because they're not academic or they've got other needs that schools are struggling to fulfill for them that helps them to to be more child-led and to be more creative Uh, I think we need to support homeschoolers more than rather than making them feel segregated all the time it's like you know, people want to homeschool. That's great, and we need to support that more. But for me, education is goes way beyond the buildings that they're in. I think kids could, it doesn't matter. You could put kids in a shed, and and they would be fine. It's for me, it's more about what we're teaching our kids that matters. We need to change education on a deeper level than just the buildings is is what I'm trying to say. And what I'm trying to say is I'm far more. There's a, there's a lot more to me than than just drug policy and justice reform
0: lucia it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for your time and for speaking to the guernsey daily
2: thank you
1: finally you'll hear from andrew barnes he set up a fact-checking website and he'll be coming on the podcast over the coming days andrew barnes welcome to the show tell us why have you decided to set up this fact-checking service
3: so I saw initially that a lot of uh, candidates were um, pushing frankly incorrect statements or statements which were misinterpreting or misrepresenting results and I wanted to introduce like a higher standard for candidates and deputies um, in politics in Guernsey.
1: That's quite a lofty aspiration.
3: Yeah definitely Um, but I think it's an important one Um,
1: like we should elect candidates who know what they're talking about have they sort of passed the health check or what's your sort of early analysis so i'd say
3: it's a mix so certainly for the school model the free school model is very popular amongst candidates but our evidence like certainly points against that Um, and there's plenty of other things as well Uh, you definitely find manifestos where they're talking complete rubbish on some topics.
1: Can we unpack that on the, the three schools? Because the first article on your website, uh, or, or uh, I guess the first sort of prominent piece of work that you've done on there, is around some of the claims that people are making on education in their manifestos. W- what are you basing all that, that on, on the fact that the three school model isn't necessarily best for educational outcomes?
3: So we went through um, a bunch of studies um, looking at how school size affects um, student attainment and other things like that, and also how schools are merged and also the effects of sixth form size and class size on student attainment again, and cognitive abilities, I think is one of them. And we found that um, a lot of the studies relied upon for the advice of smaller schools were based upon areas which were mostly rural. Or had high rural rates. So a uh, more recent study that we found showed that rural schools have very, very poor attainment when they have a high number of students, and that was really affecting the results that we were seeing.
1: So you're sort of saying that uh, because Guernsey isn't a rural setting in in the way that others are, that those findings perhaps aren't applicable to the Guernsey the Guernsey model. Yeah,
3: definitely. Uh, By the standards we're looking at, Guernsey is very much urban, uh, if not a city, then a town. And the results for towns and cities were very different to those for schools. They generally, in fact, they pretty much always recommended large schools, if not larger than the two school model in some cases.
1: What other sort of elements of education have you been looking into in this particular article?
3: So uh, one of the big things we were looking at was selective education. So grammar school systems versus non-grammar school systems. Again, we, we found like no evidence for the grammar school system being better. In fact, uh, it quite often underrepresented very disadvantaged students. And the more disadvantaged you get, the less representation you see. The overall results didn't change going from a, com- a fully comprehensive system to a grammar school system.
1: And if someone's listening to this and they're sort of thinking, well, perhaps you're just uh, getting a bit too academic about all this. You're you're going and finding evidence of things that uh, might not necessarily fit Guernsey, because Guernsey is unique. We we hear all the, we hear this all the time that you can't apply uh, evidence from other jurisdictions necessarily to Guernsey. What would you say to someone who, uh, I imagine you've maybe even been sort of thrown that criticism your way already? What would you say to someone of that um, thinking along those lines?
3: Yeah, I'd say a lot of it does apply to Guernsey. So in a lot of the cases, they um, control for more and more variables to a point where you can absolutely apply it to Guernsey. I don't think there's like these results go across many different countries and largely show the same trends. Um, It's not realistic to say that they couldn't be applied to Guernsey. And if you are saying that they they can't be applied to Guernsey or your results can be applied to Guernsey, whereas your evidence at your point of view can apply to Guernsey as well.
1: What other fact checking areas are you going to be honing in on in the coming weeks?
3: So we should have a fact check on economy coming out very soon. Um, we've also got environment coming up and there'll be things like housing and health and immigration justice is also a big topic so cannabis is one of the biggest topics in uh that we've come across
1: yeah it does crop up in a lot of manifestos and we're also gonna uh, have you fact check some of the claims being made in hustings as well so um i hope you're looking forward to getting involved in that yeah definitely andrew barnes thank you so much for your time thank you for having me rob And if you want to read Andrew's article on the education claims being made in candidates' manifestos, you can head to his website. It's factcheckergsy.wordpress.com.
0: Thanks for listening. Our second set of audio manifestos is available for you to listen to. You can find it in the same place you found this episode of the Guernsey Daily. Remember, the full list of candidates is available on election2020.gg.
1: You can also hear us on Guernsey Community Radio, who we've partnered with. And to get in touch, find us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily or email theguernseydaily at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye. Bye for now.